0: On this episode of Moving Up the Ladder, we're going to talk about psychology, specifically how psychological distance can affect us both positively and negatively in the workplace. And to do that, we're going to bring on an expert. Her name is Rebecca Hamilton. She's a professor of marketing at Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business. Rebecca, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We're getting into a little bit of psychology with the conversation, which I enjoy reading up on every now and again. And I ask my first question in terms of relating it to the workplace. In general, do you think the use or the acceptance of psychology is starting to be accepted in the mainstream when you're talking about work? Or is there still a lot of doubt and people maybe undervaluing it a bit?
1: I think there has been an increase in appreciation for behavioral insights over the past several years. As you may know, in 2002, there was a psychologist uh, named Daniel Kahneman who won the Nobel Prize in economics. Mm -hmm. We've observed a real emergence of a new field called behavioral economics and publication of books like Freakonomics, Right, I Love It, uh, Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely and Nudge by Dick Thaler and Cass Sunstein. And these books have really come into the management area and, and helped people understand and appreciate the insights that psychology can bring even to fields like economics, which are considered much more objective uh, right. than psychology. And at Georgetown, I teach courses on consumer behavior and, of course, bring these insights from psychology to our management students. And I think I convinced them by the end of the class that it's (laughs) critically important to understand human behavior to conduct business in an effective way.
0: So why exactly do you believe that it is valuable to incorporate this area and really make it be a part of obviously what you teach and then in the grand scheme of things, the practical side in the workplace?
1: It's important to understand how other people are thinking to Manage them, to negotiate with them, uh, and even to manage yourself. To know how you think, and a lot of these insights are things that you can apply not only to interacting with other people, but also to yourself. So I think I think uh, that's you know value in two ways. Mm-hmm.
0: Of course, there are a lot of different directions we could go in terms of psychology and uh, the behavioral side of people in general. But I did want to focus on the idea of psychological distance, something that you wrote about. Could you first explain to the listeners what psychological distance is and then the different ways that it may manifest itself?
1: Sure, sure. So psychological distance is a term that was introduced years and years ago by a guy named Walter Michelle who was studying temptation in children. And he found that children able to resist temptation of things like marshmallows and treats when they were more distant spatially or when they had strategies to make themselves feel more distant from the temptation. Hmm. More recently, it's been studied by researchers like Yaakov Trope, uh, who's at NYU, and Yara Lieberman, and they've used this term, psychological distance, to mean the subjective perception that something is either close or far away from yourself, Okay. whether that's separated by time, in which case you'd call it temporal distance or space, spatial distance, or experience. So when we think about objects in our minds, we think about how they relate to ourselves. And so any way that that object is removed from us makes us think about it more abstractly rather than concretely.
0: And that was going to be my next question in terms of the idea of this psychological distance can you explain briefly, and we'll get into some more details of these uh, as well, but explain a little bit of how it does affect abstract thinking versus concrete actions or things that we might do. Is there a way to summarize that for people to kind of understand before we jump into the details?
1: Yes, yes. Let me help think about some, some examples. So many decisions we make as consumers, for example, concern future rather than immediate consumption. Mm-hmm. If you go to the grocery store, you're making decisions about foods that you're going to consume at a different time. That's temporal distance. Okay. You're making decisions about foods that you're going to consume in a different place. So you have to imagine how you'll enjoy something at home rather than in the grocery store where you are right now. You might be making decisions about foods that other family members will eat. Mm. And that involves social distance. How much will they like this as opposed to how much will I like this? So you can see that all of these decisions involve predictions about future times, other places, other people. And so we start to think about those more abstractly. Uh, that can get us into trouble because when we think more abstractly, we might make different decisions. So what thinking abstractly does is it helps consumers focus on certain characteristics, like how desirable something is. Mm-hmm. They start think about all, thinking about all the reasons they want something. Maybe it's a lot of features that that a product has and and they think about all the good things that those features will do. Whereas when they're actually using the product later, when this experiential distance is much lower, they're going to be thinking much more concretely and their focus will shift to the feasibility or the usability of the product. Right. That might make them dissatisfied with the product. (laughs) they picked out in the store that had all these features, right? You have a remote control for your new device that is absolutely baffling you, right? So (laughs) that's, in fact, the way I got into this line of research. Uh, Some colleagues and I were trying to understand why it was that people bought these complex products with lots and lots of features and then returned them or felt satisfied with them. And we called this feature fatigue. And we realized that it wasn't just the manufacturers trying to sell consumers on something that was too complex, for consumers, it was really consumers who wanted those complex products and demanded them in the marketplace and yet turned around and disliked them when they got them home to use them.
0: It is fascinating stuff. And I'm sure it's something that people can relate to on any number of levels. You uh, think you had some great examples there, both with the grocery store idea and then also with the technology side of things. Let's go ahead and jump into a little bit more detail as far as breaking down those different types of uh, psychological distances, uh, basically. First of all, you'd mentioned the idea of social, social distance, and that's obviously relating more to, I guess, in general with people and how you relate with them. Is that a fair way to uh, kind of describe it?
1: That's a great way to describe it. And what we mean is that you understand what you want in a negotiation, for example, Hmm. but it's harder to understand what someone else values. Many tips for negotiation involve what's called perspective taking, So the idea is that you can become a better negotiator if you understand what the other party is going to value and what they devalue. Putting yourself into their shoes helps you understand that. And if we use a perspective taking manipulation, it's something like take this other person's perspective and try to understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. That reduces social distance and can help you improve your negotiation outcomes
0: what I think is great is I'm sure people probably recognize that they've done that in certain circumstances or it's been done to them, but that we're actually putting some concrete stuff to it, including the, how it is actually a psychological tool that you can use. How about on the opposite side of things, increasing social distance? What are some ways you could do that and why would you possibly want to do that as opposed to closing that gap?
1: Yes. Usually we want to establish rapport with people. We want to increase our relationships with people. But there are cases where it's helpful to have more psychological distance. So for example, if you're a member of a team, you get promoted to be the manager of that team. It's hard to manage people if you have very close social bonds with them. So that social distance, if you increase it, can help others perceive you as the leader. So there's a relationship between perceived power and social distance. And if you have too close to social distance, you're not perceived as being powerful. Moreover, studies have shown that when employees take direction, they like that direction to be very visionary from the top levels of the company and more concrete at more immediate supervisory levels. So it can help you communicate in a visionary and, and more effective way if you do have that greater social distance.
0: Right. Well, I think that's some good uh, advice there for our listeners who might be in those situations. I think that's a, a perfect example, the one you brought up about someone being promoted from within a team, how that can cause an issue unless you do sort of practice this idea uh, that you described there. Well, let's go to the second idea, and that is temporal and uh, again, that, that would be having to do with time. So it seems maybe a little tougher as far as trying to determine this, I guess, at least in my mind, maybe that's just how I work. But how do we account for the temporal distance, especially in the workplace? If We're looking at it from a positive point of view.
1: Many listeners probably will relate to the feeling that they're overwhelmed by all the things that they agreed to do right, <laughs> earlier. Right. So you look at your calendar and you see, oh, I agreed to do this project by this date. I agreed to give this talk to this group by this date. And all those things seemed very doable and desirable to agree to when you were thinking about them a couple of weeks in advance. Right. So when that calendar page is today, it's <laughs> harder to fit them into your schedule. And so that's a case where the desirability of agreeing to do all of these things, comes to head with the feasibility of actually doing them in the moment.
0: Right. Similarly,
1: you know, my husband and I, we like to watch movies. We have a subscription to Netflix. And when we pick movies and put them in our queue, we're always thinking, Oh, it would be great to see this documentary. It would be great to see this foreign film with subtitles. And so we put those on our queue thinking that we'll enjoy those when it comes to a subsequent Friday night. And yet when we get there, we're tired from a long week and we really wish we had something accessible and <laughs> easy to watch. Right. The feasibility is something that we appreciate in the moment.
0: I, I think it's another wonderful example. And uh, I think that does put an emphasis on understanding, as you said, things in the moment versus what might be in the future and, and how we view those things a little differently. Let's go to the next one. I uh, just want to make sure we get through all these. The idea of spatial, obviously you can hear the term in there, space. I guess, first of all, are we talking about the actual look and feel of where you're looking or where you're working, I should say? Or are we talking about actually moving away from people or things? Uh, can you break it down a little bit further for us?
1: Sure, it could be either. So if we are physically located in a different place from other team members, we might feel less connected to them and we might Mm -hmm. be thinking more abstractly in, in our communications with them. It could also be the characteristics of the physical space. There's some terrific research showing that the ceiling height can have a significant impact on the degree to which we come up with creative and abstract connections between things. Really? So just like <laughs> we, we talk about the other dimensions like temporal distance and social distance, increasing the abstractness of our thinking, mm-hmm. increasing spatial distance with ceiling height can make you think more abstractly. So imagine yourself in a retail setting where there are really high ceilings. Maybe you'll think more creatively about your home decoration projects or uh, imagine yourself in a room that's maybe a basement room with a low ceiling you're going to be thinking more concretely. You can manage those things by putting yourself in the right kind of environment for the work that you need to do.
0: Right. Again, I'm always fascinated by this stuff. I I like to believe that I'm not affected by these kind of subconscious things, (laughs) but I'm also not naive enough to say I'm not in any way affected. So, But again, I think it's it's great to hear this and get the information just for people to be aware of it and that this does go on and it could actually benefit you or be a negative as we talked about here. The last one I wanted to touch on, obviously, with the uh, the idea of psychological distance is experiential. Uh, what does that mean exactly? It seems obvious that, of course, you want to test something out beforehand, but maybe that's not always the case when you're talking about the business or a workplace.
1: This, as I mentioned earlier, is where our research on psychological distance started. Right. So we found that people were gravitating toward products with lots and lots of features before they use them. And that would apply to picking out products in stores or picking out products online. And yet when they use them, experiential distance is reduced and they're thinking more concretely and interested in feasibility. So yes, you you do want to test out products, but if you're shopping online, it's harder to do. How do companies address this? They can give you more opportunities to interact with products. That is certainly an advantage mm-hmm. for brick-and-mortar retailers as opposed to online retailers. So this is where showrooming has become so popular and consumers really want that tangible experience before they, they make the purchase. Right. So trying before you buy, that's a great way to reduce this experiential distance.
0: And I thought you had a, a great... Another example of this uh, in the article that you wrote, again, for people who want to check that out, you can find it on the Harvard Business Review website, but it was a McDonald's experiment that they were trying as far as food and they sent out a survey and it kind of backfired on them. I don't know that we really have time to get into it right now, but I would suggest people check that out because it was definitely an interesting uh, case study when it comes to the idea of experiential uh, psychology there. Can all of these work together with one another or a couple work together or can you affect one distance by adjusting the other, if that makes sense?
1: Yes. So that's, in fact, the biggest insight of this article. So what's been shown in previous research is that these dimensions of social distance have a significant effect on the way we think. And our work in the lab also shows that these dimensions substitute for one another. So if you increase temporal distance, the time between an event and now it actually makes you think abstractly just like increasing spatial distance or just like increasing social distance. Hmm. So the way in the lab we test whether the underlying mechanism for an effect is truly psychological distance is that we can substitute one dimension for the other. And if we manipulate temporal distance, we should get the same result as if we manipulate social distance. So they're interchangeable and that allows people to leverage these other dimensions to help them. So if they find a situation where they are saying yes to too many opportunities and, and putting a lot of things on the calendar, well, maybe they should actually put themselves in the room where they'll be giving that talk later right. and see whether they, <laughs> they still want to agree <laughs> to do it when it feels very concrete to them. If you are feeling socially distant from A customer, maybe a visit is in order. Hmm. Reduce that spatial distance in order to increase your feelings of rapport with that with that uh, business contact.
0: And the one that popped in my head, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea you mentioned earlier of if somebody is promoted and then you kind of you need to have that social distance a little bit, that the idea of putting someone in an office or moving them upstairs, creating that spatial Mm -hmm. distance, does the same Mm -hmm. thing for the social side, correct?
1: Absolutely, and and they reinforce one another. Sure. So. Yes, that, that's a way. I mean, take more space for yourself or, or if you are really needing that social distance, like you said, moving your office to a different location can help actually make that a physical distance.
0: Right, right. Rebecca, I really do appreciate the conversation. Uh, again, I'm very interested in all this type of uh, psychological side of things. I'm by no means an expert since so we love to have someone like you on. I wanted to close out with asking when it comes to the ideas and the implementation of psychological distance, what would you offer up as advice for people in terms of, especially if they're a manager, a decision maker within an organization, anything in general you would offer to them that could possibly help when it comes to these ideas?
1: One of the things that we notice is that people consistently make similar mistakes. So even if you understand that you, know, you always put too many things on your calendar and regret it at the time they're due, or you buy products that are too complex, right? It's hard to break out of the cycle unless you realize that psychological distance could be this driver. Mm -hmm. So this is a way to intervene and say, okay, I'm going to break this cycle and actually think about what I'm doing. I'm going to imagine that that event I'm committing to is tomorrow and see if I still want to do it. Or I'm going to imagine that I'm going to use that product right now or try to go to the store and pretend that you have to do a task with that product right now. And that should help consumers think more like they will at the time that they're using the product or the time that they're actually delivering that talk or making the presentation.
0: Rebecca, thanks again for joining us, sharing your expertise on the idea of how psychological distance can affect us positively and negatively. I do appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners do too. So thank you once again. Thanks for having me. That will do it for us here on this edition of Moving Up the Ladder. Again, a thanks to Rebecca Hamilton for joining us. She's a professor of marketing at Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business. And we enjoyed our conversation today talking about psychological distance and how we can bridge that gap. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this show or any of our episodes, you can find us on Twitter at the LJN. Just hit us up there. You can also send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. And we encourage you to check out our shows on iTunes. Just search for LJN Radio in the iTunes store. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.